The Spectator magazine combines incisive political analysis with books and arts reviews of unrivaled authority. Subscribe today for just £12 and receive a 12-week subscription in print and online, plus a £20 Amazon gift voucher, absolutely free. Go to spectator.co.uk forward slash voucher. Welcome to Coffeehouse Shops, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. The COVID inquiry has hit one of its more dramatic days today, with Dominic Cummings, formerly the Prime Minister's chief strategist, giving evidence. People have been looking forward to this for weeks, perhaps months. Now he's been in there, but has he detonated in the way that people expected? Watching him has been my colleague Michael Simmons, who joins me now. So Michael, what have we learned? Not a lot that we didn't already know, unfortunately. The inquiry um, seems a lot more kind of interested in essentially the politics of what went on and what various people um, were saying on WhatsApp. So a lot of the start of Dominic Cummings' evidence was about the, the language he used to describe colleagues, which is not for repeating on the podcast, but that seems to be kind of what they're interested in. And it's moved on now slightly to structural structural failures, how different things were done. But we're essentially not learning things we didn't know. We're learning that Cummings and his colleagues didn't think much of, you know, how the internal structure of uh, government was running. Lee Kane didn't think much of um, Boris Johnson. Lee Kane's the Prime Minister's former official spokesman who gave evidence before Dominic Cummings. But so basically, is it just simply then, like, we've got your emails, here's some rude words you used, we're going to revel in these rude words. Is it that kind of um, level Yeah, of- I mean, that's, a, that's the uh, the sort of the, the gist of it. I would say that there, um, there was nuggets of interesting information. So one was that um, Dominic Cummings said that um, vulnerable people were appallingly neglected. By during- vulnerable, does he mean those in care homes or what? Yes, so um, those in care homes, he mentioned domestic abuse victims, that basically he said there was like a, a solitary voice within government who was saying we need to factor in these people when we're, when did we're say, making... Did you see who that voice was? Yes, that was Alexandra Burns, who was in the private office in number 10 at the time. But uh, Dominic Cummings said that that person just wasn't listened to within the structures of government. He also talked about um, the border closing and about how he didn't think that at the start... Um, it was possible for the UK really to close its borders because it didn't have the infrastructure, it didn't have the technology to do that. But he also said that part of the reason why things like that didn't happen early on was they were just considered racist. So there was these sort of interesting bits in to why decisions were made, but more generally, it just seems to be about who said what on WhatsApp. Now, of course, it's far from clear whether border closures did anything at all other than inflict massive social and economic damage, but I imagine the inquiry wouldn't be particularly interested in whether border closures were effective or not. Yes, yeah, so th- this is this is more about... The, the inquiry seems to purely be focusing at the moment around sort of the March decisions. So this is about right at the start, could you have shut the border when we knew things were going going on in China? Right. Um, so it hasn't gone on to whether that actually worked or not at a later stage. But the reason the borders in. weren't closed in March was because nobody thought that would do any good. I mean, there is no even theoretical. I mean, when you look at the way the pathogens spread from country to country, the idea of closing borders was kicked out of touch by public health officials, by scientists, in the same way that lockdown was. I guess the big question, not so much why it was kicked out, but why these things came back. But we haven't really... At what point was basically science ditched and knee-jerk responses did they come in? To me, that's the, the more interesting point. Yes, and again, this is something that the inquiry kind of alludes to, how these decisions were changed, but it doesn't 
seem to get to, to the nub of them. So one of them, uh, which has been pointed out by Cummings and others in previous hearings, is how Sage was basically against the idea of a lockdown right at the early stage. They didn't think it would work. They didn't know how it could be done. And then as we get to, uh, into March, you know, that changes into suddenly um, everyone's pro-lockdown. And Cummings hinted, you know, at this idea that Sage, if you look at the comments of various, you know, big names in Sage since then, they try to make it out now that they were always in favour of lockdown and that Boris's government was ignoring them, which just wasn't the case. But what we haven't really seen is why that changed to suddenly lockdown won't work to lockdown's the only option. And the inquiry just doesn't seem to be getting at that. When I went through the Matt Hancock files, I'm one of the few who had the pleasure of reading all of those messages of his. This was a great lacuna. There were simply there were deleted messages in that period. So we never managed to find out how we go from Sage being unanimously opposed to lockdown to saying that if you don't lock down, then it's the most irresponsible thing ever. So it seems that even the committee isn't interested or isn't able to shine light on those fateful sort of 10 to 14 days. Yes, exactly. And this was, you know, even more evident when last week when we had Neil Ferguson's evidence where his emails, where he was actually more kind of vocal against the idea of lockdown and talked about the economic damage that it would have done to he himself, you know, suddenly flips to become, he becomes known as Professor Lockdown because he was, you know, so in favour of it. But even in the emails that he shared with the inquiry, there's no logical point or there's no written documentary point where that changes. Now, he said himself that it was because he saw that lock, from China that lockdowns could work. But you would think there would be more documents coming out of SAGE or more things that would have been uncovered by the inquiry to make this decision point. But it, it seems the one dark area that the, you know, I, the inquiry seems not interested interested in. Okay, so the reasons lockdown were rejected was because they had no basis in science. That's why Sweden didn't do lockdown. And at one stage, it was just Britain and Sweden were the only two countries holding out against it. So the crucial moment for the trajectory of lockdown was when, what point did this cease to matter? What point did it not matter that there was no evidence for lockdown? What point did it, what, what was it possible for lockdown theory to be basically cooked up by Neil Ferguson and then sold as fact? If we're not going to find out, Michael, having heard from John Edmonds, having heard from Ferguson, having heard from Dominic Cummings, having heard from all the witnesses about that crucial 10-day period, it seems that this inquiry, which could cost a quarter of a billion pounds, is likely to close without any of us being any of the wiser into that period. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, look, there's a, there's a long way to go for the inquiry. It's going to be running for years and years. And maybe they'll change tack and, and you know, look at the the processes around decisions make, decision-making and the evidence behind them and whether those decisions were right or wrong, whether there were alternatives. But right now, it seems a lot more interested in the kind of Westminster showbiz of the whole thing. And how would you say Dominic Cummings came across? He can sometimes be quite abrasive, dismissive, but I'm wondering if juxtaposed to this rather unusual KC they've got on the inquiry he came across well well I, I think he you know he's actually come across um very well he's not you know being argumentative he's putting his points across um against this KC who I think it is fair to say is going down a particular narrative and um, almost to trip him up the KC seem to keep keep asking Dominic Cummings to slow down and this is a trick you see him use with a lot of other witnesses he tells them to speak up or slow down when they seem to be in the middle of in the middle of a thought process so I think Dominic Cummings handled the KC very well and and he's come off well because of it. 
Uh, Michael, this is the most dramatic day, isn't it, of the hearings? I mean, Rishi Sunak's expected to give evidence, written evidence perhaps, but that's not expected for several weeks. So I imagine that the Lee Kane Dominic Cummings day was one of the moments where if we were ever going to get illumination, we would have got it now. Um, looking ahead, there don't seem to be many sort of bright days in the calendar for anybody following this um, this inquiry. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think the, the kind of sage modelling week that we've been through and now the sort of number 10 advisors week was that chance to get the, you know, the, the key information um, and go into a deeper level than, you know, who said what. Now, obviously, the, the inquiry can pull people back. Maybe they'll look a bit more at the later stages of the pandemic at, at, at a later stage of the inquiry. But it just doesn't seem that those that's the way we're going. So from now, from here on out, it's, you know, it's hard to see if we're going to get anything too useful. And with the Sage Modelling Week, the questions should have been, I suppose, first of all, how did they get it so wrong? Because we know from Omicron that they were wildly out by, by an order of magnitude. Secondly, who was checking the assumptions of these models? Because there has to be some kind of democratic checks and balance that wasn't. And three, why on earth did they place so much faith in those models when they've been proven so calamitously wrong in the past? Did we learn anything on those crucial issues? Again, there only kind of in passing so they they asked some questions about whether vulnerable groups were um brought up in models and whether behavior changed models this is you know something that the spectator and others have pointed out that behavior people moderated their own behavior in response to, to case numbers and in response to the news right because you basically lock yourself down you're looking at the news you're terrified you're not letting your kids go to school etc and the modelers didn't factor that in they assumed unless there was lockdown people would go carry on their lives as normal. Exactly. And that was something that was briefly touched on um, in Neil Ferguson's evidence. And he said that this was a problem with modelling that he himself had pointed out in a paper in 2006 and that the kind of the modelling industry had done nothing to kind of address that in that time. Now, to me, that was a really interesting point that the Inquirer KC could have gone more into because it's a fundamental reason to why the decisions that were made were made. But with Neil Ferguson's evidence, the KC was, had this narrative that he had somehow not raised the alarm. So he just kind of went back to that. So everything that I've found interesting from watching the inquiry has basically been tangential questions that haven't been the main focus of kind of the inquiry's narrative. And haven't been followed up either, because the obvious follow-up to Neil Ferguson's point was if you were saying that modelling can be fundamentally flawed because you, people don't consider the behavioural response, then doesn't this put a question mark over the whole industry? Britain was three times locked down on the strength of modellings. The obvious question was, why was this the case if we knew all along that the models could have been completely wrong? Well, exactly. And this is, you know, such a huge thing. It almost deserves like its own module of the inquiry. But like the modelling with flawed assumptions that are just set out to prove kind of a preconceived idea, it seems like the inquiry is a bit like that as well. It's got its assumptions and it's just setting out to prove them. Well, we've got Carl Hennigan, who gave evidence last week, writing the cover story of The Spectator this week. His premise is that it's clear to him that the inquiry is not interested in finding out or even addressing the important facts of lockdown. So he's making them over a longer than usual cover story, which we'll be publishing on Thursday. But for now, Michael, thanks very much for joining me. And thank you to Natasha Feroz, our producer.